0: All right. Welcome, Anique. Hello. Welcome, Paula. Hello. Uh, it's Matt Courier recording for my teacher survey guide for my graduate and master's course. And the first question I'd like to start with is: Describe for me the different ways you address students' social and emotional needs in your classroom management.
1: So I would say in my classroom I use positive reinforcement through our PBIS, using our marking marks um, and acknowledging things that doing well as a group or as individuals. Um, I also help students to recognize the positives of their peers so that they also can recognize them and thank and appreciate something that someone has done or shown or has shined through. Um,
2: yeah, so that's what I'm doing right now. Okay. It's a little trickier of a question because I'm not in my own classroom. So, um, I would say when I was in my own classroom, it was very much what Anique just shared. Um, and uh, now that I'm K-5, um, I see what Anique shared, and I also see some different um, ways to reinforce behavior. I see different social, emotional curriculums being kind of brought out of closets to use and specific lessons being taught, especially with our younger students. Um, And I also see the district trying, um, they're not there yet, but I think trying to figure out as we assess for academics ways to assess and see growth in social emotional learning, um, which is, I think, a really hard thing to do. So we use Sabres right now, and when asking a social emotional coach if if that is reliable, usually the answer is, eh, but we don't know what else is either. So I think there's, a desire to have a way to collect more information about social emotional growth and to make sure that we are addressing what we need to address.
0: Great. Thank you both. The next question would be, how did you first learn about restorative practices?
2: I think I first learned about it and and they checked my dates with me. but. Maybe five years ago, during our early release days, we had a rotation of PD. So once um, during the month, one month you would have some science PD, the next month you had some literacy and math shared, and then the third month we had a restorative um, practice, outside consultant come to our building. I think, now that I'm thinking about this, The year prior to that, I think we had TLC groups, and one group that was an option was reading the book.
0: Circle forward? Yes.
2: So there was a group of maybe seven, eight people that chose that. The books were supplied to us, and we would, um, you know, like a book club meet and talk about, you know, say, oh, we're going to read these chapters, we're going to try this out of this book, we'll come back and talk about it next month. So I think the book came first as an option and then I think from there it became a rotation for about two years yes. um, of PD, so really only three to four times a year we had that um, for that hour and a half where the kids went home early um, and I think at that point also administrators were encouraged to use some things with circles in between those times whether it made sense for a faculty meeting or um, anything else that was kind of happening in their
0: building and if you think about this the size and scale of that that idea and that program and only meet three and four times with everything else that educators are going through it's it's a lot to take on and, and try to learn
2: and there's a lot of time in between i always right. felt like we you know you might have that in september but then you didn't see that person again until december right so yeah. there's a lot of um and, and the district did hear that, and I think switched TV to make it more concentrated throughout. Right. Because if you also missed <laughs> one, then you were going like five months. You know, like you really, you might have missed the bulk of it. So I think um, while uh, the idea was good to introduce it to our whole staff, it actually created takeoff with some people who were passionate about it and wanted to keep going, and it left other people kind of behind. Who didn't get to attend, or you know, for which, whatever
0: reason, yeah. which leads to inconsistencies, right, right, yeah. right.
1: And to, I agree with everything that Paula said. And the other, other thing that I felt as a classroom teacher in watching it is that a lot of us had been um, had taken mindfulness, and so we were trying to implement that, and then we were given this restorative circles, but in a very different kind of PD, so it was hard to take what was in the restorative circles short little hour and a half kind of thing and then try to implement something in your classroom. That was really difficult. So I think people were struggling on which way should I go, where should I spend my energy. So I think that that was a a big concern for classroom teachers. And then last year we participated as a school in restorative circles so um, teachers were really struggling and we asked and so Lisa Benninger came back and she ran a couple of circles just for teachers like to kind of decompress this is how we're feeling and so we were able to do that but it was not there wasn't the support or the um, time to kind of learn enough to be able to then bring it into our classroom to help our students so that was kind of, we were trying to take care of us and trying to figure that out. So um, I think again, that disjointed inconsistency, trying to find a balance of what am I going to be using in my classroom? And with a hybrid year, I think that that made it even harder. Um, so I think, I think that's been difficult. Um, and I know that the district has, or advertises that we are a restorative circles school, like a district. But I would say it's inconsistent and intermittent, depending on the school, depending on the
2: grade, depending on the teacher. And all of those things are, are part of it. Well, and I think to go off of that also, we, we did that work in that rotation. Right. And some people chose to participate in different ways, whether you then went out and did more reading on your own or whether you didn't. And since then, now it's been three years and there hasn't been a lot of PE and I think about the turnover in our staff, and the newness that we've had. So now that inconsistency has like doubled, right? Because we've left some people even further behind that maybe didn't even have an opportunity to have the book or um, decide as a building how we were gonna move forward.
0: Yeah, both of you are responding perfectly because it's that idea behind, you know, as a new teacher me as someone who's new to our building you know which which program are we enjoying and and which programs do we think is working best for our students but also you know as you guys went through that experience of learning as adults and having circles as adults how does that translate back into the classroom because you can have so many much more different conversations as adults in restorative circles that you might not have the same with a 10 year old in fifth grade but all the way down to a (laughs) five-year-old you know So, well, thank you for that. And you guys did kind of touch on this question, but have you received any training or professional development other than what you just stated in the previous? No. Nothing further than those. Okay. How are you as a whole staff, or how do you think we as a whole staff evaluate our restorative practice implementation? I don't think we evaluate it at at
2: all. I think. grade levels might evaluate it so i hear about fifth grade having that sacred time for it and i think or i imagine you as a team talk about it a lot Mm -hmm. what do we need to do more of what types of questions how are the kids responding are they engaged are they not engaged um and you know lizzie and i did a coaching cycle where i was collecting data not on circles but more on engagement and, and student participation So there's been conversation that way, but I don't think we've ever looked at it as a whole staff, as a PBIS committee, as a leadership team. Um, But with that said,
1: we've never really looked at mindfulness as another, like, how is it being done? Do we evaluate what that program looks like? And PBIS too, we assume who's doing it and who's not doing it, but we have not really evaluated it with that lens of, WHAT IS PAULA DOING IN her CLASSROOM? WHAT DOES IT LOOK LIKE? HOW, YOU KNOW, WHAT DOES NOT DO IN his CLASSROOM? SO I DON'T FEEL THAT WE, I THINK AS A WHOLE, I DON'T THINK WE NECESSARILY LOOK AND EVALUATE AT THE at the PROGRAMS THAT WE'RE ALWAYS USING. I THINK THERE'S DISCUSSIONS, BUT I DON'T THINK THERE'S THAT FORMAL EVALUATION OR THAT REAL REFLECTIVE TIME ALWAYS. Um, I THINK THAT THAT'S, I DON'T...
0: YEAH, AND I, I THINK yeah. IT'S THAT, I THINK THAT THAT CONVERSATION IS SO IMPORTANT BECAUSE, YOU KNOW, WE'RE CURRENTLY you know, with the academic evaluation that's happening in our school and our school district, with literacy and the literacy audit, you know, why is we're always talking about social and emotional and social emotional well being? Why is why does that somehow take the back burner sometimes? You know, and it's okay, I think, to look at behavior systems and ask ourselves, are we doing what's best for the students? And so I, that's
1: I think as a result of the pandemic and what david david young's picture of the roots in the tree and the or the trunk in the tree i think we're gonna i think that the district is going to go more into evaluating and looking at some of those sel programs because i think that that's where they're for these next two to five years i think that's where we're, we're going to get the most bang for our buck there because we need to make sure the kids are ready so they can learn literacy and they can learn the math, but if they aren't ready to engage because their their social emotional well being is just not there. Same thing with the families. So I think there I think that there's gonna be a shift. I think there's gonna be a shift. I think there's gonna be more of a lens to look at that. Where I think before I feel that when we talked about SEL, it wasn't all kids that needed SEL. It was our most vulnerable population that needed the SEL work, and so they got the extra time with guidance or whatever, but I feel that as a whole, we didn't always look at the whole picture, and I think now we're seeing that most students have been affected by what has happened with this pandemic and how their families are reacting and how school is responding, how they're responding, how it was hybrid, all those pieces, so I kind of feel that there's, I feel there's going to be a shift. That's
2: my, my own thinking. Another thing that I think makes it tricky is where the funding is tied. (laughs) Yeah. So um, we know there's a lot of funding tied to PPIS. And, you know, one example is when we're getting ready uh, to think about how, what positions we needed this year to add social-emotional supports to our children and teachers and programming. Um, We couldn't, it was much more financially to hire another Howard clinician because we're a PBIS school we can use a certain part of our funding to hire that position Um, and I get stuck on that a lot because it feels like funding should not be driving what's best for kids right or we shouldn't stay with PBIS because we are eligible for different funds if we're a PBIS So I think it will be really interesting when we do in the budget for next year have a social emotional um, coordinator in our budget, like we have a math coordinator. So it will be interesting to see how we do evaluate what we're doing and what's working and what's not. And I'm hopeful that we make decisions based on that evaluation and where we want to go not to where funds are tied and trying to make that work. Like, I think when I first got here, we did a lot with responsive classrooms. We had a lot of training with responsive classroom. We had a lot of consistency with that. And we were the last, correct me if I'm wrong, school to become a PBIS school in our district. We were, correct. And I think when that happened, in order to get a lot of us over to that side of being PBIS, it was. The question that you're asking, can we blend PBIS with responsive classroom? Can we take some of the things that we really believe in and make that work with PBIS? And there are, of course, articles out there that you can do that because yeah. they want you to be a PBIS school and and I, I'm i not sure you can do that. I think that's one of your research questions, right? Can you yeah, blend those? And exactly. like, I don't know if you can truly have the beliefs of what responsive classroom is really about and VPIS. Yeah, yes. Do I think there's overlap? Yes. yes, but I think there's some real differences, just like the circles and restorative practices.
0: Yeah. And and I think
2: it's, it got hard when we tried it to blend I because agree. I don't think they blended quite as easily as we had hoped. Had hoped. And I think
1: that there was reluctance yes. because of that because some of us who have been around for so long and were. Steeped in responsive classroom because we had three years of training, summer training, two weeks of intense with your colleagues. Yeah, with your colleagues, and so then you came back and you were doing all these different things, and all of a sudden to get that shift of all right now we have to be a PBIS school. And I was even on that PBIS team, that first team because I was like, okay, we're gonna do this. I want to be, I want to be in the forefront because I want to see like what is happening, and um, I think. I think that that was a a tough go, and I think that if we were to evaluate right now what is happening for PBIS, I bet we would find in the data that some of the teachers who were steeped in responsive classroom are still kind of reluctant with PBIS because of their philosophical beliefs around it. They were so entrenched in who we were or are as educators.
0: Yeah, and I think, I'm glad that you brought up that whole responsive classroom blend, and you know, we had to also come up with that question of, you know, those individuals or, or those those educators that do have their beliefs in certain programs. You know, how do you how do you go about educating them about these other programs that uh, certain individuals might think is best for the future? You know, I think that's another great question that we can get into. Well, and the less
2: PD that the district provides and what they want us to do, the more that encourages people to go out on their own and get what they want. Right? Yep. Yeah. Right. Yeah, So and there's it, not that consistency. Yeah. yeah. And that's exactly I mean, Katie and I took a responsive bus five years ago together, right? The advanced level or whatever, because we felt like we needed something, what we were doing wasn't working. Right. And we believed in it and we're like, we're gonna go back to what we know. Um and it was approved by the district and we went and but the district was offering nothing else in place right. to help us with what wasn't working right and right so yeah. i think there's danger in that when you're not providing consistent PD in an area that is a district initiative mm-hmm. you get people doing their own things yeah.
1: and i think at elementary you really see it yeah. because i think at elementary since we're such generalists and we are we are the whole Like we do it all it, you know you get to middle school and high school they all have specialties and that's their direction and that's it where us we're generalists and we are doing it all, so since we're doing it all, we want to make sure that we have all the knowledge and information, and I feel like elementary teachers are constantly going out there, yep, I know I need this, so I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and I think that that's what we do, and we gravitate to our colleagues and like, hey, let's go do this together, and that's what happens, and we gain a lot of knowledge, but sometimes it's a knowledge over here, using Paula's term, in a silo, where everybody else is over here, but there might be two other silos but now we have to bring it all together. And I think that that's where sometimes the disjointedness comes in an elementary school because of that, we, we do go off and try to get what we need in our classroom if it's not being provided for us.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting because you guys are naturally just answering my questions <laughs> in my survey, which is <laughs> okay. so awesome. Um, so I guess, Two, two, couple more questions. Are there? Do you think there's like was there ever shared goals or a specific vision that the district or this or Rick Marka themselves shared with the staff? Like, hey, here's a vision we have, or here's here's our list of goals we have. Let's try to get there.
1: I feel like the district has their ends policy that's shared. The ends policy is what all South Burlington students will have when they graduate from high school. There was beginning work of, to extrapolate that back to what would it look like in a kindergarten. It never came to fruition where we totally went through and looked at that, but I feel like that's kind of the ends that is always shared with us. You need to meet the ends policy. This is, these are the ends that you're trying to get to, but when you're a K teacher, and you're trying to get to what does community service look like at this level, now you've got to try to bring it down here. And again, it's that, where's that continuum in that conversation? Um, And I don't feel that that continuum has happened in that K-12. I can say that when, like in a different realm, when I first started teaching here, we used to have K-12 literacy, science, math, and social studies meetings. You would have kindergarten teachers from every school, first grade, whatever, all the way up to twelfth grade, and you would talk about what is the continuation, so that you could start looking at how how does a first grader get from counting forward and backwards to using the Pythagorean theorem in in high school? Like we would we would start looking at those mm-hmm. continuums and. Then that dropped, and I feel like the ENDS policy was created, but there hasn't been those pieces where, how do we get from here to here? And I think that's,
2: I think that's a struggle. Um, I think I, it's the grain size. I think we know where we all want to be, but right. that is such a big thing. big. That I don't think we've had the grain size of this is our goal for this year. Right. This is our goal in a five years. Yeah. So that means this year, we're gonna have someone come in and provide for you next year you're going to have opportunities to take some. And the third year, we're going to implement it and have school-based
0: conversations about it. We've never had specific goals like that. Which automatically makes me think of what we're experiencing right now for PBIS. We're currently in this um, circle of Tier 1, Tier 1, Tier yeah. 1, where by now we should be in Tier 2, Tier 3.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, which leads perfectly to just out of um, kind of branches off away from that conversation a little bit. But what are some specific PBIS tools or restorative practice tools that you do think have been beneficial to your own experience in the classroom? Maybe an example of, do you find buddy teacher or model slash remodel or reset super beneficial or something else? I think when I think about, we do have that respectful,
2: mindful, cooperative, consistent language across our building It's understand awesome. what that means and to be successful with it. Yep. Um, whether you're handed on a marking mark or not, I do hear that vocabulary that's the same. Now reset versus take a break versus peace corner, different language, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> throughout our building. But I do think, um, I think we've defined respectful, mindful, and cooperative very similarly across our building. Mm-hmm. So kids have an idea of the difference between them and what it looks like in different spaces. Now, they don't always choose to be mindful (laughs) in the cafeteria or whatnot, but I think most of them, if you process with them, could give you examples of what that was and would know what that expectation is. So I think for me, that's the biggest thing that I've seen come out of it and the most consistent tool P-D-I-S. the language is the language yeah. and and really those three words
1: and we actually had that language prior cares. We did.
2: well we had cares for a responsible right, but,
1: classroom so yep. i feel yes. like that's something we've been strong at here at yeah. parka is there's been clear expectations and it was cares before cooperative assertive respectful self-control em- empathy empathetic and self-control yeah. So like those were our words before we yeah. started pbs and then we put those aside and then we kind of created the ones that we have. and i feel that that's been a strong suit of ours that the expectations have been taught they've been followed through and kids know and can use that vocabulary and yes they do not always do it
2: across settings well and i think that's but, where we fall apart yes. is what do we do when they're not and i think yes. there's some differences in philosophy about how you what happens when they're not following them? So, is it, you know, response to classroom ecology of action? Is it a restorative circle? Is it um, a loss of privilege? Right. Is it? like I think that's, that's where, where some yeah. of our differences really come in to play, I agree. and where the inconsistencies come. I agree. So, I think we all start at the same place. This is what we expect, and then when that doesn't happen, right. we fall apart. Right. Yeah. How
0: do we respond? How do we respond? Right. Is yeah. different, and it's so. It's so fascinating to me. I got to add this because when you think about, I think about PBIS and being in, coming from three different school districts, all in Chittenden County, all PBIS schools, I find myself repeating. So in like Essex, it was safe, kind and responsible. SKR, they said. SKR. And then in Burlington, it was ROAR. Be responsible or yeah, respectful, accepting, responsible. I'm drawing a blank. Yeah. But And then you have RMC or RMCS. And it's like, I even find myself just using all three yeah. of the languages yeah. because you just become so accustomed to it. And it would be nice just to know that... Not what's that, my, my goal is, like, what is that next step for us? What is that next level that we need to get to as a staff to help? Now, I mean, I'm always, it's always about the kids, and we want to support the kids, help the kids, but also to support our teachers and our colleagues. And how do we, how do we help them feel?
1: and i i feel that as much as we aren't able to respond or know what to do when when expectations aren't met i also feel that we as a pbis team and I, i'm speaking for me because i since i have been on it from the beginning that we have not supported the teachers as much as we could or should have and i and i don't know why i don't know i don't know if it was the reluctance or the lack of leadership or um misunderstandings. I mean, I think there's a variety of things to look at, but yeah. I think that we did not support the teachers as well as we could have in the transition from responsive classroom and CARES into PBIS. That first year we fumbled and tried to get it, we, it was okay. The second year we tried even more and got partway there, but then I feel like, you know, there it just didn't, and we wanted to move to tier two, but we weren't ready, but we had lots of questions around what do we do when a student doesn't meet the expectations? What do we do? Is it a major or is it a minor? Um, there was inconsistencies on how those were being dealt with. And I think that that, as a result of that, I think classroom teachers especially become, became, dis, became demystified by PBIS, because it was saying it was doing all of this, but there wasn't the follow through on it. Um, and again, what were the pieces that were of why that happened? I think it's probably tenfold. I think it wasn't just one thing, I think it was a yeah. variety of things. So I think that that's been another piece of us, a hurdle for us to get to tier two or tier three. I think that's, um, cause I know as a classroom teacher, one of the conversations that was had a lot was if student X hits a student, this is their consequence. But if student Y hits a student, they have no consequence. That was a struggle with people in trying to think, well, why this student but not that student? And you know, like, so yeah. that was hard. And so I think that's where the, you know, disbelief and kind of fell apart. So I feel like, I feel like that's why we're hovering and we we haven't been able to get to that next
0: level. Yeah. A lot of the research I've read too around this that idea is you know there 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 needs to be a leadership model that is providing that buy-in and providing that motivation. And yeah, I don't want to share yeah, no. more on the recording but
2: um, <laughs> I think we've had a lot of transitions in yes. our building um yeah. with positions with turnover of staff and also positions being added and taken away and Used differently. So the system of not always knowing or or not always having the system that's known has created some challenges in yeah. it. And I also think, those different silos not working in concert. So we need our special ed department to be working with our PBIS, which needs to be working with our CIP writers, which yep. needs to be right. Like their MTS It all needs is, to yeah. wind yeah. wind together, and it hasn't, and we haven't had those opportunities to work in concert together. Um, I think that's the challenge. Yeah, all. I would agree. Yeah. yeah. So long. And so then the buy-in just goes out the window because. Yeah you don't see i mean if anything i would say we're seeing more challenges mm-hmm. in behavior and social emotional needs yep. and whether that's due to the pandemic or you know lots of things it ha- it was before the pandemic yep. we weren't seeing the change in behavior that we were hoping from probably because of the lack of system yep. and so therefore the people who were already on the edge and I'm not sure i really believe in this well and you don't see it working, right? You search for something else that will work. Yep. yep. It makes yeah. it makes you more reluctant.
0: And then whatever the results end up being, <laughs> the next question that, based on your comment, Paula is, how do you get those individuals? If it is PBIS, how do you get them to buy back in once they've been out of it for years?
2: Yeah. Well, I think or, it's immersion. Like, right? You have to designate the time that it's actually gonna take to have people believe in. So whether that is the focus of your CIP, which means it's a focus of faculty meeting time, it's a focus of any PD that you bring in, it's a focus of any offerings that you give out for PD opportunities, you have to be immersed and you have to give up something else to have that immersion, right? You can't have six initiatives going on and do them all well. So you have to say this is our priority, I think, and these are the way we're gonna support you and we're gonna do it together and we have a plan for when new people come in to get them on board with us and we have a a, a goal for three years out yep. and we've you, got commitment of committee members for more than a year because we know this is a three-year plan. I think you have to have the time without that immersion, you lose pieces. Right. This is the same thing we do with kids, right? We immerse them in whatever it yeah. is we're trying to teach them. Exactly. It's the same model, yeah. right? Yeah.
0: Alright, well I thank you both for your time and
2: uh Good luck. We're gonna end this here. Let us know.